edition of the Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Dr. Laurie Shimek. Laurie is a well-known as a pioneer in creating global awareness of low-level inflammation and how it is responsible for and the core cause of most illnesses, diseases, faster aging and weight gain. She has also been sending out the message about inflammation long before it became a buzzword. Dr. Laurie has uncovered the pathway to the core cause of weight, inflamed cells that not only promote unwanted weight gain and belly fat, but poor health as well. Laurie Shimek is a nutrition and weight loss expert and a best-selling author and specialist in weight loss resistance. Uh, and her book is titled To Fight Fat Inflammation. So welcome onto the show, Laurie. Well, thank you so much. To, so nice to be here with you finally, James. <laughs> well, we got there in the end. We did. And some of that was a right mouthful for me. <laughs> You did great. You absolutely did great. So before we delve into today's topic, Laurie, Mm -hmm. what was kind of the catalyst in the first place for you wanting to become a nutritionist? Well, when um, it really started when I was a young girl, because I've always been into health and, uh, you know, my mom was a nurse and she was very sick too. So I, that seeing her suffer, combined with my really curiosity and I just couldn't get enough of, you know, health and nutrition and all of that, even as a little girl. Um, but I remember as a little girl uh, walking into my mother's dark room and seeing her laying there suffering. And, you know, it's, it showed me even as a young child that she could make different choices in her life. Right. So I um, watched her health uh, degrade and she continued to make poor choices even though she had all of these health conditions and uh, she was very overweight she was almost obese she smoked a pack and a half of cigarettes a day um, she had a very poor diet of which I was a part of <laughs> I can't believe I'm still alive with how terrible I ate as a child um, but you know we made it through and um, my mom unfortunately didn't. So you think about um, the, she was also a single mother with three young children. I was the oldest. She had no husband, no support, no financial support. So you can, you just add on the stress, the chronic stress with her health conditions and her, her lifestyle choices. And so she died at a very young age, at the age of 36 and she left behind three young children with nowhere to go. And so it was really at her memorial service where I decided that I wanted to help other people. And I knew that my mother felt like this was her lot in life. This was it for her that, um, you know, she didn't matter what she did. It wasn't going to change anything and which was not true. Okay. So that, I went into the helping profession. I went into, uh, I became a family counselor and I did that for a while, all the while um, still keeping my passion for health alive. Uh, 
And um, so I did nutritional consults on the side for people and family friends and things like that. And eventually I decided at right about the time where I was changing my clients uh, grocery list. Okay. I would, they would tell me what they're buying and I'm like, no, uh -uh. we're going to do something different. So I'd have them buy different food. I did a, uh, a workup for them in terms of their diet and what they can do. And it changed their lives. It really did. It changed how they looked at the world. It changed their children because their children were, were eating healthier. And it just showed me the crucial importance and power of how much food impacts every aspect of our lives, our mental health as well. So I decided to combine my uh, background in psychology with, I went back to school and became a nutritionist and combined the two of them together. And here I am. <laughs> and I started my own practice doing this. Laurie, in terms of that inflammation, do you think, and maybe it comes back to your upbringing as well, do you think it comes down to people's knowledge of what actually causes inflammation? Because people are all generally associated with being maybe not, not so much their, probably their diet, but more so their lifestyle choices. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think it's everything. I think that um, what happens is a lot of people believe that what they're doing is healthy, right? A lot of people think that if they're not eating well, that they'll just go work out and that'll, you know, nip it in the bud. That'll take care of it. And uh, when in fact, it doesn't really help at all. Okay. So it doesn't, so people are buying certain foods thinking that they're healthy. And when in fact, they're creating low level inflammation in the body. And I mean, I could just give you numerous examples of that, but it, I believe that education, when people have knowledge, as they say, it is power. And, uh, you know, once you have that knowledge, it builds upon itself. And then you start to make lifestyle changes, you little shifts, little, little micro steps, you know, really make in the end a huge difference in the quality of your life, your health and uh, the way you think and more. And obviously as, as people have got more knowledge or it's become more commonplace in say the larger media, we've gotten more understanding of say the likes of antioxidants. Um, it's another anti-inflammatory one. Uh, omega-3 but obviously that is only the tip of the iceberg but what would it be come down to it and obviously your book fat inflammation mm -hmm. brings it up a lot what would it come down to for people to be able to what well, it's probably impossible to eliminate inflammation completely because if you're you don't want to either you don't want to eliminate it completely right so that's a good point yeah but why, why do you think that it has become uh, probably more commonplace that people want to kind of do something about well, improving it, so to speak? I believe it's because there's more education out there. We have greater access to so much information on the Internet. And unfortunately, a lot of that can be 
really poor information. Um, but by and large, we have, you know, at the drop of a hat, we've got inf inflammation. We have information at our fingertips. And I think people are taking more interest being that we are understanding that the conventional allopathic community is not as educated in nutrition as uh, they should be, okay? And so they're sending people down this path, which is a lot of medication prescriptions, instead of, you know, you know combining, maybe you do need those prescriptions, but, you know, it's important to be preventative and uh, go down this path which is really going to help you take care of yourself and not only stop side effects, but increase other health benefits. So a good example would be um, if you have arthritis, there's research showing a lot that, arth that uh, knee pain, joint pain is mitigated and is just as powerful with turmeric or the active component curcumin, which is in turmeric, as like Advil or Motrin. I don't know if you have that in England, but uh, those are two uh, ibuprofen. Do you, you have ibuprofen, yeah. right? Yeah. So turmeric is just as powerful in research as curcumin is, which is, again, that active component in turmeric. And that's incredible because that means you're not only reducing the pain and healing the joint, but you're also getting other benefits too as well. Like if you have a belly, it's going to help shrink that the, the fat cells within the belly and the belly fat is your most inflammatory fat. And it's um, reducing uh, inflammation, cellular inflammation throughout the body of the brain. It's promoting brain health. The list is really a long one with turmeric. So that's an example of going down that one path that I believe is the best path to go. So, yeah. But then in terms of like medication and we talk about ibuprofen, it's, it's more of a short term fix. It's it's pain. And how do they term this? It's pain. It's not really pain relief, but it's kind of, it, it's blocking it out. Whereas if you do it naturally and use products that are out there, you are, it's more of a, um, I wouldn't even put it down to chronic, but it's more likely to 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 aid you to get not get rid of the pain, but you're gonna ha not have the pain for a prolonged period of time. Whereas medication, its sole purpose is to kind of trick your brain to thinking that the pain is gone. Right. Yeah. Are you saying that it, the pain will aid you, or the the medication will aid you? Well, the medication will aid you to to to. Th to well, probably not think about it. Whereas if you did it naturally, it is going to reduce the inflammation and thus the pain will subside. Right. And, you know, and with, say, ibuprofen, that is definitely um, an outcome as well, this, that you're reducing the pain load as well. But um, in terms of uh, longevity and anti-aging, the, the turmeric is going to also help reduce depression and stress. And uh, so you're less, you, you won't be aging as quicker with it. But um, yeah, in, in terms of stress, um, if that's what you're referring to, I can see what you're saying. Yes. But I, I think it's, I think I did, I did um, 
a blog on it, gosh, months ago on actually what does medication make medication can make you fat because you haven't that dependency on it. And like you touched upon it earlier in the episode, in most cases, if you're on one form of medication, and this is more serious medication than say ibuprofen and paracetamol, you will in most cases have one, the first medication, have another medication to uh, counteract the side effects and you're kind of building upon it. And they're actually, if you looked on it on the flip side, like we've touched upon, if you had just that first medication and used the natural resources, be it turmeric, uh, omega-3 and all those things, Mm -hmm. you would probably be possibly in a better state of well-being than say being on these multitude of uh, medications. Oh, I agree completely. I mean, that is, you know, especially omega-3 research shows that it's high, it's, it's powerful in reducing depression with people and promoting more blood flow to the brain. Um, you know, it's that it's like, if you're having memory problems, I highly recommend omega-3 fatty acids in, in the most potent form, which is the fish oil form. And it in and of itself is going to reverse inflammation, even in the fat cells as well. So um, really uh, great anti-inflammatory. Well, it's, a, it's a, one of those ones that is, uh, from a supplement standpoint, is kind of twofold. you got, like you said, the memory aid, uh, aid with the inflammatory device. And then also you're getting, well, at least in most cases, people that don't eat fish, you are still getting some of that benefit from that as well. Right. And if you're, if you're a vegetarian or allergic to fish or just don't want to ingest fish for whatever reason, there is the algae-derived DHA um, or a krill oil is another one. But it's, those are two options for people who, who uh, want a benefit of omega-3, although it's not as potent as the DHA EPA that's in the fish oil. And you know, and a lot of people are taking fish oil and they're not taking enough of it. So it's, you know, they're just taking it's 120 milligrams or whatever per capsule when they should be taking at least 3000 milligrams a day. Okay. So three to five is what I recommend, especially for fat loss. And Laurie, do do you think that is the case that uh, people are taking that little amount because they are misinformed of more, say, so to speak, the the benefits of mega free as opposed to say looking at DHA and EHA, kind of as as a separate entity, and kind of using those figures to get your daily allowance as opposed to just looking at the front of the the packaging and and looking at mega free as probably the sole ingredient that's within the product? I think it's a lack of knowledge. I think that people will go to the, the product, they'll pick it up, they'll say, okay, how, you know, how many capsules? And then they think they're doing the right thing. And they don't understand that it's, it, what you want to do is have a therapeutic effect on your, uh, on your cells, right? And so when you do that, it reverses cellular inflammation. And the most potent form uh, that I can think of outside of um, trying to think of what what else will do that as effectively I really at this point can't think of one but um, that is 
uh, going to do that if you if you take the right amount. And so, you know, you have to check with your doctor because fish oil will thin the blood. And if you're taking any medications, then it's, you want to make sure there's no negative interactions. But for most people, three to 5,000 milligrams is excellent. And if you look at, you know, EPA, DHA, right now the research is showing DHA to be the active component, if you will, in terms of weight loss. Um, EPA for brain health. So either way, you're good to go. There's always a great ratio, you know, already there for you. But that really brings me back to what we discussed early on, which is, you know, the, the importance of knowledge. Because if you, there are a lot of health experts touting how much, uh, not how much, they're just touting that you should take fish oil as an anti-inflammatory. And they don't tell you how much and why it's important. But do you, do you think that they have, um, and this is maybe a generalization a little bit, they have an end goal that they, that is why they're saying just to have this because they have a stake in possibly that company? Or do you think that's maybe a bit harsh? Um, I think that might be too, because if they're, if, you know, they're saying, take our product, take our product, and they're not, you know, telling you, I, I would think that they would want to tell you to take that much, because that means you're going to be taking more of their product, but they may not know too. You know, that's why I say there's a lot of bad information out there. Poor quality information is probably a better word and bad, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's so you know, low-level inflammation, like I mentioned earlier, inflammation is important. We need it. There's inflammation called acute inflammation. Uh, our bodies need it to heal. It's like I, I always call it loud inflammation because we know it's there, right? It, it hurts. You being an athlete, you know very well what acute inflammation is. And it's, you know, that sprained ankle, that stuffed toe, that terrible sunburn or head cold or whatever, that's acute inflammation and we need it. It's necessary. Without it, we wouldn't be alive. It helps us heal. We'd be sitting ducks, really. So um, I if you take like a cut on the finger, so when you cut your finger, an enormous amount of inflammatory molecules are released and soldiers, if you will, rush to the site of the wound, they repair the wound, the wound heals, the inflammation goes away, the soldiers go away, and all is well, right? Inflammation's gone. But there's another type of inflammation, and I refer to it as low-level or silent inflammation. It promotes just a trickle of inflammatory molecules compared with acute inflammation, which is an enormous amount. But, and you would think, well, this is better, right? It's just a trickle, but it isn't because it never goes away. It stays there and it's with you. It's lurking there 24 seven. And it, um, it's kind of like a, having a sore on the inside of your body that never heals is what it's like. So that low level inflammation is the core cause of most illness, disease, faster aging, and weight gain, all right? Diseases like Alzheimer's disease, cancer, osteoporosis, heart disease, obesity, these are all inflammatory. The core, core cause, the core foundational cause is inflammation. So, you know, that's why it's so important for us to really take care of that low-level inflammation and why I find it the most 
really the most important health step that one person can do in their life. But Laurie, how do you kind of inhibit some of those diseases? Because some of them, okay, Alzheimer's, uh, dementia is, and I've done some little bit of research in terms of that, obviously products like omega-3 are going to inhibit that to some degree. You could say in some degree, some cases you're still likely to get that disease anyway but you if you can reduce that the effect of it to some degree you'd probably be better off and uh, it's probably easier on your the family as a whole but what are some of the other factors uh, or, or um not factors but kind of things people could in, put in place to kind of counteract that um information you were talking about well Okay, so for let's take you're you're referring to our genetic vulnerability mm-hmm. to some diseases like Alzheimer's, right? But they're showing now, like for example, Alzheimer's, that the research is that Alzheimer's may be an insulin resistance of the brain. That they're referring to it now as type three diabetes. And you know, I don't know if you knew, but our uh, president years decades ago, President Reagan, used to have a big, he loved Jelly Belly candy, which are these little tiny candies, chewy candies, on his desk. He ate an enormous amount of them every day. And I always think about him when it comes to Alzheimer's because there you go, all that sugar he was ingesting, right? And if you have that genetic predisposition, then you're not, you're creating inflammation in the body. And so what they're saying is that it's, uh, this may be, an inflammatory lifestyle condition related to sugar, okay? And sugar doesn't mean just sweet. It also means carbohydrate, refined carbohydrate intake, excess carbohydrate intake. So that we're just now on the, the cusp of this, but um, to me, it's powerful information if you want to prevent Alzheimer's and really stop all inflammatory ill health. But could we not argue that it's going to be more and more problematic with obviously the Western diet being heavily uh, concentrated with refined carbohydrates? Is is the situation only going to get worse, even though we do have that knowledge to say, well, this is what you need to be eating and this is what technically is bad for you? That's a really great point. And you're absolutely right on because people don't want to hear that their favorite foods or yummy foods, delicious foods are causing these, you know, part of the inflammatory process of, you know, these diseases. And, um, but yes, I agree with you completely. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But going back to what we talked about earlier, I think that the more knowledge that comes out, the more people are going to be aware and take steps to um, help themselves. Now I, was just reading research today showing that people are drinking less sugar-laden sodas. And uh, even though in some communities it still, stay, it still stands at the same rate, but overall people are reducing their intake of them, which is unbelievable. I'm so happy to hear that, you know. Uh, so all of the preaching that I've been doing uh, and others have been, you know, across the universe – uh, is, is starting to pay off because people are paying attention. Oh, but you could you could argue with people, uh, obviously, to, to to drink more water, 
you might as well drink it because you are paying for it anyway. Right. It's so true. That's a good point. It is very true. Yeah. And water is very important. Yeah. Well, that's that's another one to help with information because people might think, well, why do I need to drink water? Okay. I I think I think there's that conflict in certain circumstances where people don't want to drink more water, but they don't think outside the box in terms of tea, coffee, things like that. You don't just purely have to drink water. If it, uh, as long as you don't have sugar in it, it's still... Right. A, still uh, you a, know, bear in mind that the kidneys still have to filter out compounds from the tea and the coffee, right? So ideally... It's great if you can drink pure water. I mean, that's the ideal situation. But if you're like my grandmother, (laughs) she would not drink water. I mean, I can't believe she died at a young age. She died at the age of 79. Um, But she, um, and I believe part of it was the fact that she was so dehydrated, uh, would not touch water. She would drink juice, which is like drinking sugar, essentially. And, uh, you know, it's just some people are like that. It's so if you can drink water, that's make it your go-to make it, you can, uh, add things to it to make it taste better, like crushed up mint leaves. Um, you can add in fruit, let it stand for a while. If you want, they have these infusion basket uh, bottles. Have you seen those where they have like a narrow basket in the middle and you can put all sorts of even cucumbers make the water taste great. It's amazing. So, I, I, I put it, I think somebody else has asked me that as well. And I said, it, it's probably the new fad. Have gadget. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, but, but drinking water is important. I think most people, I mean, I know through research, most people are mildly dehydrated and they don't even know it. So they're walking around suffering from joint pain, back aches. They get headaches all the time. They're gaining weight. They're tired all the time. They don't know why. They have sugar cravings. You know, it's so interesting. If you're tired in the afternoon, a lot of people call it that mid-afternoon slump. A lot of that is mild dehydration. So a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll go reach for a caffeine drink like coffee or Coke. Um, or they'll uh, eat some sugar, get a candy bar, when all they need is just a glass of water. And I'm telling you, if you've ever tried it, it is amazing at how quickly that craving for food or sugar goes away. I mean, it works for sugar cravings, um, hunger, and uh, whatnot. But when you don't have enough water, cellular function slows down. And so does your metabolism. So so when you gain weight, right? So does your thinking and you feel tired and you have foggy thinking. But when you have enough water, when your cells are optimally hydrated, your cellular function is your cells are optimized and they're getting the nutrients they need. And your body's able to uh, get rid of the toxins that it's accumulated via the elimination of the body and what more. So it's really so important to get water into your diet. Really important part. And for fat loss as well, because it boosts your metabolism. And also, we also didn't probably touch upon this. Uh, in terms of mo- uh, information, it's probably your bo- body giving you alarm bells that it's not happy with you, or whatever you well, be it like we've touched upon just there. You're not, you're not hydrated enough. Uh, you're not eating the 
or how would I term this, the nutrients or the nutrition that the body actually does crave. So it's it's kind of got the sirens going off. Well, this is my, my way of telling you uh, what you're giving me is not the ideal fuel to run. Yeah, that's so well put. It is your body screaming out like if we don't have enough water, it's it's screaming out with certain symptoms like I mentioned, right? Being tired or you know you're gaining weight, okay? And you you're like, why am I so tired all the time? Water, right? So your body's telling you something. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that people who don't eat enough nutrient, nutrient dense diet, they tend to gain weight. And that's because of this low level inflammation within the cells. They, uh, their bodies are not getting enough nutrients. So they're craving food. So they eat this say fast food. Okay. That's devoid of any nutrition at all. And it's a cycle that keeps going. They, the body's like, I need nutrients and they keep eating that food and it just, you know, and then they get fat and inflamed and, and so it goes. But it, um, if you can reverse, it literally reverse the inflammation within your fat cell and within the body itself, uh, it's highly beneficial to your longevity, to your, your quality of life because if you don't have your health, you don't have a quality of life, really. And, um, you know, I would say that, you know, making specific, making a, if you're overweight, making a specific attempt to adding, you know, particular foods to your diet, like turmeric, that, that really shrinks belly fat cells and blueberries and other foods that will promote weight loss and a lot of people think that when they lose weight that they're losing fat cells or just you know but they're really shrinking the fat cell the fat cell is releasing stored fat the way it's supposed to as opposed to storing it not letting it go a healthy fat cell releases fat to be used for energy in the cell but when you eat the right foods specific foods if you're wanting to lose weight um then that helps greatly. It helps shrink the body. But the, I ask you this question, Laurie, now. Obviously, and this is probably a weird one, food that's bad for you is obviously cheaper in, in the store. We've become an, a society that wants to gain more knowledge about our health. So why doesn't the governments in the world make uh, make food that is better for us cheaper and that's and then maybe put a cap on food that's uh, poor poor nutritionally because they're really not looking out for your well-being okay they're really not and unfortunately there's only so much that like here in the states that they can do the fda can do um that uh which is a joke anyway what they do <laughs> i mean it really is um, the food manufacturers are allowed to get by with sneaking sugars in there, having different names for sugars that many people don't know about. I don't know. Is, is that the same? as so the same in Europe. Yeah. And it's, and people are ingesting an enormous amount of sugar, which as I mentioned is really inflammatory. Um, and they don't even know it. Like here in the States, two slices of whole wheat bread, right? Healthy, which is you call wholemeal. Mm -hmm. uh, brown bread, whole, 
uh, can raise your blood sugar as much as two tablespoons of sugar. And that's staggering. That is an enormous amount. Yogurts in, here. Uh, not, I don't believe in Europe they're this way, but in the United States, yogurts contain 25 grams of sugar. All right, that's a lot of sugar. That's as much as a candy bar. And see, people think that they're being healthy by eating these foods. They're getting, they think they're getting the high fiber and the bread and the nutrients, etc. And the yogurt's really great for them. It's a probiotic food. It's feeding the bad bacteria within the gut. Which is in which I write about in my book as well. And obviously, you talked about bread there. Do you think that they add the sugar because obviously there's other ingredients uh, that they supplement with vitamins and 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 and, oh, and minerals? Got it out there in the end. Uh, <laughs> do you think they add the sugar component and the salt because the the product is not? It could be twofold now, the answer, because people have become so accustomed to having sugar and that sugar taste and obviously that addiction that comes with it, but then also the product doesn't taste very good. Yes, I agree completely. Um, the people are unknowingly addicted to sugar because in the United States, the food manufacturers add sugar to almost every product out there that's packaged and processed, right? So uh, ketchup has sugar, salad dressing has sugar, whole wheat bread, uh, yogurt, mayonnaise has sugar. I mean, you name it, anything, chicken broth, if you can believe that, has sugar in it. And so people are ingesting, the average American ingests 156 pounds of sugar a, um, a year, okay? That's 27 teaspoons a day, and I don't know what the measurement is in the UK for 27 teaspoons, but believe me, it's an enormous amount. It's eating 27 spoons of sugar. White granulated sugar is what it's like. And then the the maximum four to to eight you're supposed to have. Right, exactly. And I personally recommend people do not add sugar to their diet, okay? Get it naturally from fruit and from the, the carbohydrates that you ingest. That's what I do. I get sugar. I, um, you know, don't, I stopped eating sugar a long time ago. I was addicted to sugar. And uh, once I got off, it was like, oh, yay. I don't have to think about sugar anymore. I'm done with it, you know. And I was really young when I did it. But um, but it, it can be done. It can be done easily. I have a YouTube video out there. It's called the, the Sugar Freedom Trifecta um, that is so easy to implement. It gives you a couple supplements to take, how your plate should look to get off the sugar, and other, other just a few other little um, action steps, and you're good to go. You don't need a book on it. You don't need a class on it. You just need to do it. <laughs> and once you do... You'll see when you taste these foods, like the bread I was talking about, or the yogurt, they taste horribly sugary, too much sugar, and it's sickeningly sweet. So you're resetting your taste buds as well for the way they're supposed to be, the way sugar, you know, we shouldn't be eating that kind of sugar, that amount of sweetness. 
And I think you raised a good point there in terms of people's knowledge and um, obviously understanding of what sugar can constitute in terms of its language that is being used. And I think I've opened up kids' eyes in terms of products they're drinking. In terms, I think one, it was just yesterday, he was showing me uh, this bottle of whatever it was, I think Coke or something, mm-hmm. and it had packaging, obviously no added sugar. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's all well and good. It's saying on the front, I'll show you yeah. that it will have an ingredient that is sugar in it. And I think it was um, a sweetener. I think a sucralose and, oh, it wasn't aspartame, but the other one, and I can't think what the name of it is. So I was like, well, there you go. There's, there's sugar for you. It's not technically a sugar, but they've still added it in. Yep, they sure have, and a chemical one at that. And, um, you know, and a lot of times people think, well, I'll just have sugar-free and artificial sweetener like a diet soda or whatever. And, you know, uh, it's well known now through research that artificial sweeteners cause hunger, they cause cravings and weight gain, okay? Because you're priming the brain uh, for the fact that you're, that it thinks you're eating something really sweet. So it bumps that fat storage hormone insulin up, okay? It triggers it. And that, for, that fat storage hormone insulin also likes to keep fat there. And so it's not a good thing to, to have diet soda as well. I don't know. I know a lot of people in the United States that are overweight drink diet soda. You'll see them with a big fat hamburger and a diet soda. <laughs> and it just because they think, oh, well, that's one thing that, I, you know, is good. I can do this. I can, you know, the calories. But it's not about the calories. You know, it's really about the quality of the food that matters most because the body metabolizes a hundred calorie candy bar vastly different than a hundred calories of broccoli, right? I mean, that makes sense, but a lot of people don't stop to think about that because, you know, they, they focus so much on the calories, a hundred calories. That's the first thing they'll look at. Well, how many calories does it have when it should be what the ingredients are more than the calories? But then if we go a step further, Laura, do you think it's because people have um, demonized whole fats that they see um, some stuff that is termed diet, low fat as what you could say the healthy option when in in its entirety, that's not the case. And and I think in Europe and probably more specifically in the UK, I think they within by law if they have anything of that nature more so low fat it only has to be i'll see if i can get this right i think it's 30 percent lower than the original one and that's it whereas i think most people would assume if it says low fat it's going to be significantly lower and that's not the case right same with here yeah and that your points well taken in that as well um it's better to have whole full fat than it is to have uh, no fat or low fat in your diet. So if you have whole fat, that is extremely important because whole fat is going to be satiating. It's going to keep you full for a longer time. For example, there was a study that came out, I think from the UK actually, 
um, and it showed that those who ate two eggs, whole eggs in the morning, right, uh, lost significantly more weight than those who didn't have the eggs. And that's because they had the protein, which balances blood sugar, helps you boost your muscle mass and metabolism, etc. And it contained whole, uh, it contained the yolk, which is fat. And within that fat, you've got an enormous amount of nutrients like choline, for example, which helps reduce belly fat. And so, you know, a lot of people were going to just egg whites because they felt like it was a better option to lose weight. Here we go again, the low fat, no fat, right? We want whole fat in our diet. It's very important. And so when I recommend, um, like um, in my, the book I'm writing now, it's across the board, whole fat. Um, in my last couple, my last book, it was low fat um, for a lot of the products, some whole fat depending, but I was, you know, as the research has come in, it's, it's abundantly clear what's is most important. But then obviously on the flip side of that, Laurie, it comes down to, okay, this is more, people that are more knowledgeable and want to look at it in, in more depth mm-hmm. obviously if you look at how nutrition has been viewed over the decades it's obviously um something is going to be at the forefront and then something is going to be demonized and it kind of goes in cycles and flows right. and then i think as we go further into the research a lot of things that have been demonized in the past have been tr- uh, coined to be, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. That was absolutely not true at that time would be it. Uh, saturated fats, not good for you. Right. High fat diets are not good for you thinking, well, now, now it's saying, well, in kind of the, the short term, not so much, or if you don't exceed the levels, they're all well and good. So I think it's, You've got to take it with a little bit of pinch of salt, a bit pinch of salt in in that regard mm-hmm. to what, it, well, you could say what the research is at the time and what we know of what it's going to do in the longevity of for you as a human being. But if you look on the flip side of that and look at what, say, the our grandparents ate, okay, they mm-hmm. were exercising more, they were exercising a lot more, but their diets were a lot higher um, in fat content than what we eat now. Yeah, they, um, and you know, I don't know, here in the States, the heart disease rate started skyrocketing in the 50s. And that was at about the onset of more refined flour, sugar in the diet and the way it was refined. So it is, you know, the, the saturated fat, I believe is a myth. Um, I mean that, you know, saturated fat is bad for you. I believe that people are very healthy when they eat saturated fat. It's kind of like, um, well, they found actually through research that it's the sugar and the refined flours in that that's causing this interaction with the saturated fat. Mm -hmm. It's oxidizing the cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol is is building up and it's causing inflammation on the arterial wall then causes plaque and it becomes an occlusion and then we have a heart attack right or a stroke but um but i but i believe that if you were to leave out sugar and excess carbohydrates and refined carbohydrates then you are going to have a healthy heart you're going to have healthy blood pressure 
and you'll be just fine. But they have found that the, it's that the saturated fat is more like the analogy is a fireman putting out the fire. Uh, he's got the hose in his hand and he's putting out the fire. And, you know, if you didn't know any better, you didn't know what a fireman was, you'd think he started the fire or he was included in that fire somehow, right? Well, the same is true of saturated fat. That's what they used to believe that because this LDL cholesterol uh, was being oxidized, um, and it was in error. You know, it was all, it wasn't malicious, the information that was put out there initially. It was just we didn't know. And now we know, and saturated fat is, is a key component to optimal health, hormone health, which is key to our healthy life, and much more so uh, brain health. Um, so people who are afraid of saturated fat is, you know, and, you know, it's, we were indoctrinated not to eat it. You know, we were no eggs, you know, you get two a week, <laughs> That's it. you know, or four a week or whatever it was. And now they're saying have two eggs a day. So I do believe, however, there is, is, um, there's something called arachidonic acid that is in egg yolk and in red meat. Okay. That in excess is going to promote low level inflammation in the body. And so that's what we want to, you know, we don't want to do meat in excess, but it is still very important to our health um, and longevity. But then in the vegetarian, we, you know, counter that with, have you seen the blue zones? And, you know, so. But then um, some might argue it's very, very difficult in society, probably more so Western society now, because it's so easy, readily and easily available and a little mm-hmm. bit cheaper than it used to be. So you're going to eat probably, oof, I'd say double, if not triple, what generations before uh, would have um, less access okay. to. So it'd be like chicken because of the price of it and how it is now mass produced. It mm-hmm. is a hell of a lot cheaper than it was, I don't know, what would it be, 40, years, 40 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And as you can tell by the thread of our conversation, there's so many different aspects and um, it, like puzzle pieces that really make up true health. And there's a lot of confusion out there too, um, you know, in terms of the general public. And they need to, you know, um, just stay on top of it. But how can they? Because they don't have time. That's not their job. So that's what my job is, is to do the research. But I highly believe in, um, plant, in um, protein, plant protein, animal protein, plant protein. Uh, in my book, you'll see that I recommend half your plate veggies. Very important component to optimizing cellular health, mitochondrial health. The mitochondria in our cells are key to our optimal health. And the only way to, to, um, to, to really have optimal health is to take care of our mitochondria. So core functioning mitochondria is, uh, really equates to core mitochondrial health. And when you eat a diet that's high in polyphenols, you get enough sleep, you don't use the computer before you go to bed, so you get quality sleep, um, you drink enough water, and you do all these little hacks that increase your mitochondrial health, 
you're going to be a healthy person. And that's what I, I firmly believe that our sole source of our, our, our longevity and our optimized health is our, really to focus on the mitochondrial health, which really is about inflammation in the end. And my last question for you, Laurie, before we wrap up the episode, if you had to summarize this episode we've been speaking about tonight into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? I would say to, to really take action on reducing the inflammation in your body through your diet to start. I, I, I would say that would be the, the one thing that the takeaway should be. And to, you know, uh, really educate yourself, get more knowledge. As, because as I mentioned before, the more knowledge you have, the more power you have and simply by listening to your show that uh, people are going to gain that knowledge. So once again, Laurie, thanks for coming on the mindset game podcast. Thank you, James. I so appreciate it. It's been wonderful. It's been my pleasure to speak to you. Mine too. Bye-bye. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.